Welcome to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. I'm Kate Oda. I'm James Moore. And today we are going to be talking about Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. It is a post-apocalyptic fantasy story about a monster hunter after a big flood due to climate change in the western states, New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona, that area, which is the Navajo Reservation is where the book takes place. And I just want to give a spoiler alert because we will be discussing plot points and the book in depth. So if you have not read it, definitely take the time to go do so and then come back and listen to our discussion. So overall thoughts, initial thoughts on the book. It took me a while to get into it. The first 50 pages, for whatever reason, were just a slog for me, which is not an insult. Harry Potter was similar, you know, like you got to get through the cupboard under the stairs before you can get to Hogwarts. And that's kind of how this felt. Like you had to get through the long drive where Kai would not shut up to get to like anything good and monstery. <laughs> My overall impression, it, like you, I had difficulties initially. I was thinking it was, it felt kind of amateur hour to me. And the characters seemed like there wasn't going to be much to it, but it quickly changed and, and, and picked up. The story picked up quickly for me. Can't tell you exactly what point, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. But overall, I enjoyed reading the book. I find it really interesting that both of you felt like it started off slow and was hard to get into because I felt like the opposite because normally I have a really hard time with fantasies. Like there's only a very select few number of fantasy stories that I actually like. And the reason why I jumped into this is because it didn't spend the entire book just world building before we got into the story. I felt like we dove in and she was fighting a monster pretty quickly when she was rescuing that girl, which felt fast to me compared to a lot of the other stories. Like I've been reading a lot of diverse like middle grade fantasy books um, that take place in in different countries and different times and it's like and it has all these words that you don't understand and it takes you so long and then finally in the last like 10 pages you get like whatever it was you were building up for so I appreciated that one it was a short book very very short for a fantasy mm-hmm. and that it it didn't just focus on world building you kind of built your world and kind of understood what was happening as the story progressed which which I really enjoyed but I get what you're saying about the amateur hour I was really worried at first because I feel like I hyper focus on the writing style and grammar at the very beginning of a book until I'm hooked so the first few pages I even made a note that there was like 50 uses of and in like a sentence like it was just like really long sentences with lots of ands in it and so I'm like oh gosh but then after the second page I was so into the story that Maybe she did it the whole book and I just didn't pay attention anymore because I was wrapped up in the story. I can tell you right now, she didn't do it the whole book. And it was the it was the first few pages. Unfortunately, I've been ruined by my writing group that I hang out with every <laughs> once in a while. Every time I read a book, I think of, you know, what would Rick be saying right now about this book? You know, what would my mm-hmm. group be saying about this book and this run on sentence here and, and that dialogue there? So that kind of ruined things for me for every book, the first 10 pages. And for her, she would have gotten hammered in one of our sessions for Mm -hmm. some of the stuff she did. But I think I can put my finger and explain myself on the reason why I thought it was slow for me up front besides the grammatical stuff. The story up front, and I'm not saying that there's a way to get around this, but I just disliked the the main character Mm -hmm. because of who she was and what she was doing. She seemed very, she was very surly. She was, she came off as Quinn from, from Jaws. (laughs) You know, I'm going out to get the monster for you. She's a a curmudgeon at the age of 20-something and she cuts this poor child's head off. I saw those as negatives. And I understood the reason why she did it and why she felt like she had to and that sort of thing. But it didn't redeem her in my mind. I mean, just starting off like that. If she had done that on page 150, I would have let her get away with it. But this is on page, what, 15? That she's cutting off a poor girl's head? That kind of rubbed me the wrong way at first. But then when she met her grandpa Todd, that's when things put up. I, I was okay with the, the very opening scene. Because I was like, hey, we're doing something. We're getting this monster. Ooh, she's going to kill a little girl. Like, that's weird. Like, I'm, I was actually, that made me be like, this woman is interesting. She's not like, I'm a hero here to save the day. Like, mm-hmm. hey, everyone. Um, And I liked that we saw her like bartering with the blankets and that kind of stuff. And that she clearly felt bad about killing the little girl. And later, I think she like regretted it. Because I don't think that evil was actually the disease she thought it was. Mm-hmm. But. 
die. Then we go to Grandpa Ta's house. And then I was not, I was like, oh, oh, oh no. And we just, it was the longest time until anything happened again. I think that's one of those things where when you're pitching a story, we we're all kind of in that boat where you're like, how do I start the story so that the first 10 pages are action packed and you're thrown into the story? And I think that was the author's way of throwing us into the story from the very beginning. You get a little bit of the action, but then you're not going to get any more monster slaying for a while after that. So then she had to kind of backtrack and, and give you some of that little bit of world building, which I didn't mind, but I can definitely see how that would be like, oh yeah, here we go. And then, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that part because it was developing the the relationship between her and Kai, which is the real story. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I just, I, I don't want to label you an adrenaline junkie, but, <laughs> you know, there's got to be parts of the book that we, you have to, they have to do something so that you care about them. Yeah. And that's when I started caring about her, when she visited her grandfather and started this grudging relationship with this well, guy. Hold on. It was not her grandfather. It was his grandfather. Oh, that's right. It's his grandfather. Very important. But he was the grand <laughs> he was the grandfather figure. But you know, yeah. she was the he was the the Yoda. He was kind of the Yoda to her. Not her mentor, but the person she obviously went to for someone on this earth that cared about her just because he cared about her, not with any agenda and that sort of thing. That's kind of like what a grandfather would do. But yeah, you're right. I don't want to confuse people <laughs> and say that brothers and sisters were dating. You know, it was Kai's grandfather. But, but I, I actually didn't like Kai for a very long time. So I think that's why I didn't like the, the road trip business because I, I was like, this guy's kind of skeezy and like, yeah, yeah. So, like, he was in that outfit, right, which did not work. Like, I couldn't even see it, and I was like, this is hideous. So I was like, maybe he's not into the ladies. Maybe that's why his fashion choice is so oh my distinct. Goodness. I don't know. I don't know. Oh my, I was trying to read the hints. I was like, this is a flamboyant outfit. But then he also, I could tell he had the silver tongue thing the whole time. And I was like, ugh. Right. Sleely. He's the charmer. But, but he tried to tell her. That was the part that was frustrating to me is that he started to tell her several times that he's because she was like, Oh, how did you convince the the cop people that Long you know, arm. Yeah, and he like started to say and she'd be like, No, 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 don't tell me. Nope. I don't wanna know. And then she gets all mad when she finds out at the end that he has this power like <gasps> And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And it's like, he tried, tried like multiple times. I know I'm going to get punched in the face for this, but I kind of get that from women a lot. (laughs) You know, sister, wife, whatever. You you try to do something, they stop you. And then they say, why didn't you do that? Because you stopped me. That's no excuse. You're supposed to do it. Well, I don't see why she didn't realize he yeah. had those powers because she has powers. And a couple other right. people and had she powers. knew that he had something. Yeah. So that would have been my first guess. Yeah. Like, oh, you convinced these people who otherwise probably would have killed us to just let us go. And then when he was trying to explain why he got beaten up and he's like, well, I just, I couldn't, he called me off guard. I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't look at him. And it's like, yeah, why do you think that happened? Because he has the power that relies on him looking at them and talking to them. And, so yeah. was Maggie too dense? Is that what you're saying? And no. she should have gotten it? No. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I okay. love you, Maggie, but I don't think you finished high school because the world ended. So it's not your fault. <laughs> okay. I have to say that as far as like post-apocalyptic female characters go, she's like the most badass. Like not like the Hunger Games or Divergent like stories that have come out where like, okay, they're like the reluctant hero, whatever, but they're still like, oh, I don't know. I can do it. She's like, no, I'm going to do it. But she's also deeply flawed and she's been through like what I would call probably an abusive relationship. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think her like social cue odometer is not quite what it should be, but her she grew up with her grandma who she her grandma who she watched get murdered. Not just murdered, but butchered. Yeah. Yeah. Like a like a cow. So she has the worst case of PTSD in history. Yeah. And then runs into this guy that manipulates her. Who's 
like a million years old and gross. she's a teenager gross, gross. okay come on twilight <laughs> i know this is not okay right so like older man taking advantage of this teenager immortal man <laughs> yeah so definitely like evie like very inappropriate relationship and this is her main relationship for however many years and she basically comes of age falling in love with this weird immortal monster hunter so yeah i think that she's a little off on the social cues actually, but she's she's a badass it actually killed me in the book she actually says i'm not good at relationship stuff like this and i'm like chum <laughs> you're not you're not gonna be at first i was like oh he's just her mentor like nothing happened and then coyote was like hey wink wink hey 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 how was that how was he in bed what's up and i was like oh oh and then maggie was like uh, no 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 and i'm like yeah maggie you didn't do that he was your mentor like you had a line and then later i was like i think they definitely did it and then in the yeah. ring well in the ring when he was like stabby stab and then like aggressively kissed her i was like no <laughs> And that's when I was like, oh my God, it was an abusive relationship. She didn't realize what was happening to her because she was like, what, six, 14, 16 when he picked her up and like, who wouldn't be turned on by like a hot monster slayer God? Like, okay, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he sounded beautiful. He sounded page. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I want the movie. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was the first time they had kissed and it was like I thought it was he knew that she liked him and he's like this is how I'm gonna take her down I distract her with this passionate kind of rapey kiss and stab I I feel like they may have at least kissed before if not more and she just didn't want to talk about it with Coyote because like he was such a trickster that she's like oh no no you don't get to mm -mm." but like she seemed pretty open to the idea of having sex but that's why I thought that she didn't because she was still kind of like fantasizing about it a little bit. And I feel like it's that lust that leads you to kind of fantasize. And then once it's over, then you Yeah, I, I kind of got the impression as silly as this is going to sound, as badass as she was when it came to kissing first base, second base, third base, that she was total version in that yeah. area. Yeah. That she was totally inexperienced with that and uncomfortable with anything that approached that. Like, you know, that's what I felt. Yeah. Getting, mm-hmm. getting socially close to somebody, getting a little intimate with, you know, even without touching, just talking about intimate things. She was like, you had no idea how to handle that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure it's kind of like been inappropriate at times, yeah. but I don't think that they ever actually had sex or even kissed. I bet he groped her though. <laughs> He seemed like a gropey kind of dude. You know what I mean? You really want this movie, don't you? She (laughs) wants the movie. Please, Rebecca Roanhorse, sell the rights to someone who will make this movie. It's going to be on Cinemax next month. Netflix. Netflix. I mean, hey, like books are like popping out movies like crazy. Mm -hmm. Disney Plus. Everybody needs content. I've got Disney Plus. (laughs) I don't think this would be on Disney Plus. (laughs) No, probably not. We need the R-rated version. Oh, oh, we do, do we? (laughs) For book two, I'm hoping no (laughs) just kidding sorry dad (laughs) anyway so yeah and then the fact that she was so mentally distraught about herself being the monster or that she like would kill anybody and then you felt like oh okay the monster slayer is actually this like good guy like he's actually just going after monsters and like he realized like okay you took it too far and that's why he separated but then when you actually meet him and you're like ooh yeah ooh wait no you don't have a moral compass what are you talking about why did you and then you realize that it was just the emotional abuse to make her feel bad about herself. Yeah. So that he could like continue to control her. But then even when he wasn't there. Yeah. Like then why did he leave her to exercise even more control when he came back? Because he'd be like, I forgive you. And she'd be like, I'm not alone. And then he would just start it all over again. (laughs) He deserved his fate. (laughs) Well, I think so. What is his fate? Because it definitely seems like he's going to be coming back. Yeah. I mean, he's trapped in that mountain with the hoops. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, he's just bound by these hoops. He's bound by the hoops. He's, you know, trapped supposedly for eternity. But, you know, everything can be reversed in the magical world like that. Well, I I assume that Coyote, being also an immortal god, is not dead dead. He's like Loki dead. Well, he he talked about how many times he died. Right. Exactly. So he'll, he'll be back and then he'll probably release 
monster slayer man um yeah on his side yeah and then be like let's get revenge on maggie and they'll be like yeah and then they'll go can, can we talk about that for a minute because yeah. the dynamic kind of confused me at one point there as far as me trying to identify the real antagonist mm-hmm. in this whole deal. Because the motivation that the coyote had in Maggie stopping the big bad monster slayer, did that make him a good guy in trying to stop him? Is he actually looking out for her like he hinted when he was in their trailer? And if so, why did she get to turn his head into a canoe with a gun, <laughs> you know, just shoot him in the head and he's dead now. It's like he's on, he's he's good and bad at the same time. I guess maybe that's the definition of a trickster that just goes the way the wind's blowing at the time. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he kind of reminded me of, who is it in Greek mythology? Is it Apollo, the one that has the wings, the messenger guy? No, that's uh, Hermes. 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 Yeah. And in some of the stories with him, he's kind of the same way, where, like, he seems like he's on your side, and then all of a sudden he's not. But I think Coyote was, like, way worse than that because he was like actively like trying to like destroy things but I agree with you kind of got a little muddled at the end and I think that was kind of intentional that you don't really know but it seemed like I think I would say they're both the antagonists but in separate ways and I think what Coyote was trying to do was pit them against each other Maggie and the monster slayer through because he set up that whole thing in the ring and the fight to the death and I think he knew that he could use them against each other and I saw some theory about Kai that ultimately what the coyote wanted was the hoops on Kai because he wanted the wind because Kai has like weather powers because the in mythology uh breathing breath or like wind into somebody's how you create more character more monsters so he wanted the wind so I think in a way he was trying to pit the two people that he thought he would probably have a hard time taking down on his own the two monster slayers against each other and then he could go for for Kai and his power with the hoops so i think that was ultimately his end goal but i think we won't really know until later but yeah that that theory kind of fails with me because number one you got to use the hoops to take care of the monster slayer so you don't have the hoops anymore number two you wouldn't give these hoops to maggie who is obviously partnered up with this guy their buddy buddy you know that kai himself is going to have his hand on these hoops that you're supposed to use to get kai with i don't think that's going to work out if your goal is to get kai with the you know, using the hoops to trap him. But wasn't the coyote also trying to pit Maggie and Kai against each other too? So wasn't wasn't no. he he was no. the one that told her about his powers? No. He he want he initially pitched Maggie to go sleep with Kai. She was like, Yeah. Get over your old boyfriend. Sleep with this hot piece of bum. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I briefly forgot if we could swear or not. Uh, <laughs> Yes, swearing is allowed. (laughs) Go sleep with this hot piece of ass. So, like, I I don't... I think he did have a longer plan. I think he did want the Monster Slayers to take out at least one of each other. And I, I also know he wanted to watch for, like, entertainment value. But I don't know if Kai is the one he wanted or maybe he didn't know Kai was the one he wanted. Because he kept being like, go to this canyon, go to the canyon and get the wind. But if Kai was right there, why would they go to a canyon for it? Mm-hmm. But I agree There's there was definitely a, a furthering, a further ahead plan that Coyote had. And step one was like, watch this entertaining fight between these two people. But he kind of committed suicide, basically. When he told Maggie about how he engineered his her grandmother getting butchered in the first place. I mean, he arranged all that. He made all that happen. That's what got him the bullet to the skull. Maybe he just likes to brag. And he knows he'll come back. Yeah. So Yeah, I but mean, then you don't get to see that show you say that he was gonna I mean, he's gonna miss he's gonna miss the pay-per-view. But he already saw round one, so maybe he's like, round two is gonna be the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll catch you later. <laughs> I think he is just chaos. Like he just wants to create mayhem and chaos and destruction. And he doesn't really care how many times he has to die to make it happen. Uh-huh. Like, I guess he probably could have waited to do his like big, bad, like evil boss. We feel. Yeah. yeah he did the bomb villain thing. Yeah, he could have just stood up there with her and been like, oh, oh no. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, you're supposed to, the Bond villain is, it's, it's in Bond villain school. 
You're supposed to do that while James Bond is tied up and helpless. You're not supposed to do it when he's got a gun in his hand. What did that your plan? <laughs> yeah. Well, she she did kind of call him out. She was like, you had the fire drill, which <laughs> I'm sorry, Rebecca Rothmore. That's a terrible <laughs> name. Like, even if that's what it's called in the mythology, maybe tweak it a little bit. Because <laughs> I kept being like, fire drill? Why are they practicing for a fire? <laughs> but yeah, so she knew he had it. He like showed it at the showdown. So she basically was like, I know you made these monsters. What's going on? And he couldn't be like, what? <laughs> So he kind of had to do his villain speech. And then the Monster Slayer had a small villain speech. And then Kai was like, I also have something to say. <laughs> I know. I know. That was, I kept writing down notes to myself about like, oh, there's this twist. And I was like, mm, nope, scratch that out. That's not the real twist. Here's the real twist. And then by the end, I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> there's so many twists. It was a little knitted sweater at the end. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty much my main complaint about the book was that ending where I was like, what? Who who are all of you? What is happening? Why did you all do it this way? Yeah, I I don't think anyone's plan worked out uh, except for the very last plan that Maggie had where she was like, I'm going to maybe kill Kai, hopefully not all the way so that he can recover a little. Uh, And then when the monster slayer trusts me because like I killed the guy he told me to kill, everything's going to be fine. Then I can trap him in the hoops that I don't know will actually trap him and that's the only plan that like fully worked out <laughs> so do you think that Kai is alive I mean he has to be right there's a second book he's so. 100% yes. alive and I knew that before I read the back of the book that talked about the plot with Kai in it so <laughs> yeah yeah he's alive I was amazed that Ty was alive I was like yeah yeah. That old man did none. He's cockroach. See, I thought that he would be alive because they never had confirmation. Everyone was just like, "Yeah, well, he clearly did some fire drills to get out of his <laughs> <laughs> to get out of his house." So he got out of their I mean, they all have powers. They have their clan powers or whatever. So whatever mm-hmm. his power was, was he just... He was asbestos. Oh. Speaking of clan powers, everyone has two except for Kai, who has three. Riddle me that. So what were his three? The weather? The weather, the healing, and the silver tongue. That's right. He got in so, line three times. Mm-hmm. But that had to do with because his parents were from different clans, right? I thought that's why everyone had two. Yeah, that's why you get two, but not three. Like, could adopted stepdad's clan? Like, what? Could But could the healing be a learned thing? No. Because that sounded like he got that from his grandpa. No, because he, he was, like, super beaten up and almost dead, and then he healed from it. Yeah, okay. we're talking about him healing himself. Yeah. And, you know, he had taken a real butt whooping and was looking good within, that, what, hours? Yeah. Plus, he can see ghosts. Wait, that's four. Yeah, that's true. So you don't, but you don't get two from each parent. No, because they would introduce themselves with just one clan each. And I I don't know if you choose like mom's mom's clan and like dad's dad's. Like, I don't know how the lineage works. works. Yeah. But why does he have so many powers? Is he also secretly a god? But when they were introduced, he was introducing himself in that that place. She couldn't hear what he was saying. So there probably is more to it that, yeah, maybe he got adopted in into another clan and then somehow was able to like magically get one of their (laughs) powers. I don't know. I think it's possible that he could actually be the grandson of Tar because even though it was just rumor around the fire and stuff like that, I think that homeboy survived a direct lightning strike and just Managed to, you know, lay low until he hits up Maggie at her at her crib. Right, because wasn't well, Ty Ta he was he was a healer too, I thought. Yeah. 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 So he probably just healed himself. From a direct a lightning strike. Usually there's nothing but powder after that. So I I think that he's got some power. I don't know, in people himself. get struck by lightning a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More often than people win the lottery. That's not scary at all. <laughs> I, mean, I know was, someone who was struck by lightning twice, but and they're still alive. Tom must have been you like... You don't just, like, like sizzle and, like... He was, like, what, <laughs> the three, four hundred years old? When you're that old and get hit by lightning, you usually don't <laughs> So that's why it took him so long to come back. <laughs> that's why it took him so long. He's having took a break. <laughs> Adams had to come back together one by one. He went to Vegas, hung out, and said, okay. Or he's a god, because the gods can, kept dying and coming back to life, like Coyote. Yeah, 
and so I, that's my Kai, theory. And so Grandpa Tom, how many gods are there? Everyone's a god. Everyone's a god. Is Maggie ex- a god? Except for the poor except girl that got her head cut off. No, no. Oh yeah, she was not. A god. <laughs> I don't think Maggie's a god. But I think a lot of other people are gods. Maybe she's relate like a half god, like a demi god, a quarter god, <laughs> on her mom's side or something. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> like two percent god. Yeah, like she should do a twenty-three and me. <laughs> <laughs> not sponsored and um <laughs> but if you want some, some money <laughs> i don't know i mean i'm hoping that these are all questions i get answered in the second book or the third oh no no i can't wait that long <laughs> no then i'll just be mad we, we need some answers in book two because there's only two books written right now and then her book that she's currently writing is not a part of this series is it the star wars one no it was something else i don't remember what it was but i saw her talking about it so if there's going to be three books she needs to answer all these questions in the next book because i'm not waiting six years to (laughs) find out the answers i always talk about how much i hate series Mm -hmm. and i will say that i really enjoyed this one because i did feel just Despite all the questions I still have, I still feel like it was a complete story. Like if there was no more books, I could still feel satisfied mm-hmm. with the way that it ended. A little confused, but <laughs> satisfied. <laughs> and it was not like 500 pages. And then I have to wait till book two. It was like 200 something pages, pretty short for a book anyway. Mm-hmm. So I do kind of feel gypped. Like they probably could have combined books one and two into one 500 page book and they are getting two books out of it. But because it does feel like a good stopping place, I'm okay with it. And I usually wouldn't. I think that the arc was complete at the end. Although like you, I would like to have a few more things explained. I would, It seemed like it was a jagged edge. Like, you know, you're, you're looking at paper, 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 and then at the way it ended, it wasn't a clean cut. It was a jagged cut. But I guess they they successfully hooked me into getting to the next story because now I want to read it. Yeah. Like, she's one of the few people who can honestly query and say, like, oh, a standalone with serious potential. Like, most people who say that, like, the second book's already half written, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, with her, maybe it really was a standalone with serious potential. But she probably had the second book. I mean, she already. probably had it. <laughs> <laughs> drafted. Let's be honest. Because this didn't come out that long ago and she already has the second one out. Yeah, I think so. it was 2017. And then the second one was a couple months ago. One other thing that bothered me just a little bit about the ending is that, I mean... I know it's a trope with me right now, but nobody, nobody really important died. They all died. All of them. <laughs> Every everybody that got killed either had it coming, gonna come back, or uh, didn't didn't really die in the first place. Nobody important to nobody really important to that main character died. She's the except only for her one gran- left. Except, <laughs> except for her grandmother. Her grandmother really died. She died and became lunch. Yeah. Just, just wait. She's gonna pop out. <laughs> I, I pieced my body parts back no. together, <laughs> like the one book we read, the absolutely remarkable thing. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I somehow pieced back yep. my my atoms. Okay, so let's talk about the actual world building that that happens. Mm-hmm. So we we are slowly introduced to what happened, and it sounds like it was kind of a climate change driven flood but yet we're in a drought where the where the story is taking place on this Navajo reservation which is super cool as far as setting goes um and I you don't you don't see a lot of books like that but it's I don't think it's very distant future they didn't say exactly when it is but they did hint like there was a flyer for some event in like 2030 Mm -hmm. and so if there's still a flyer up that's not like disintegrated it's probably not too far after that so you know she was like what 14 maybe when her grandma died and then she's probably like mid-20s so maybe like 2040 or later at this point that we're in so that's kind of interesting that it's really not and and there was nothing it's not sci-fi so there's no like technology that we would have to advance to for the story to make sense but it is fantasy so it has these gods and monsters and all that so the magical walls made out of different minerals yeah somebody finally got their wall (laughs) i think they made that joke too (laughs) 
But yeah, so I think that it's it's interesting. We were, we were talking before we started the podcast. So like, well, what genre is this? Because I've seen it classified as urban fantasy, but it's not in a city. Yeah. But also it's kind of mythology. And can it even really be classified as post-apocalyptic because of the fantasy element in there? So Are you asking this? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a <laughs> open. <laughs> In in my mind, and, and maybe I'm just characterizing this wrongly, um, when I think mythology, I think about bigger stakes than what was going on there. Mythology usually explains creation of the world, the creation of men and women, or how the clouds came to be, or something like that, if it's mythology. So, but post-apocalyptic, I'm totally down with that. It's post-apocalyptic, totally with the fantasy. The, the urban part I thought was kind of iffy. I think we could just leave that part off because they spend as much time out in the wilderness as they did in whatever cities they did have. So I'm just good with post-apocalyptic fantasy. When you said mythology, I think of Percy Jackson and that kind of mythology fantasies, where it's like you take mythology and then you put it in the modern world and you do a little mm-hmm. twist and a little zhuzhing. Um And so that's what I think this kind of was. It was a more grown-up and a Navajo-based mythology type of Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson was a badass lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that mythology can be about other things because you've got, I mean, you do have creation of the god or of the monsters kind of, and then that that whole aspect and like basically the destruction of the modern world. So the opposite of creation in that way, um, which I would say, you know, like I would classify like Thor as under the mythology umbrella, even the movies where there isn't necessarily world-shattering things going on. Well, I guess you could argue that every one of those Marvel movies does have the world's safety at stake. I think it is interesting that we were watching an interview with the author, and she was saying that she only really chose the stories that had already kind of been brought up in, in popular media because of their history of exploitation. They didn't, there's certain stories that are private to the culture that they don't share with um, the masses, which I think is really kind of cool. But also, you know, that's how stories are passed on in the generations. So if if their populations are dwindling, then at some point those stories will just cease to exist, which is sad. Well, that's what we get <laughs> for. Why? <laughs> I mean, for, I mean, I, the, as much as in, for you audience out there, I'm African American, for as much as, you know, there's lots of valid, valid concerns and, and issues brought up about, you know, how we were, you know, integrated into society and years ago there's the slavery stuff like that. Nobody's got it worse in America than the Native Americans. Anybody else complaining? Better not complain to a Native American because you just have it better than them. I don't care who you are because of what's happened to them and how it happened and the duration. I mean, even to now, I until I was stationed out in South Dakota when I was in the Air Force, I had never seen an Indian reservation out there to sue. And I thought that I saw poverty in Brooklyn. I thought I grew up seeing poor people. I had not seen any poor people face-to-face until the first time I saw a reservation. I mean, pole, P-O pole. People that are scratching the ground for food. People are trying to shelter themselves with cardboard and newspaper and and no prospects, none. There's no place you can go. There's, no, there's nothing that you can do to, to get a job or be able to sustain yourself except for, you know, just just have misery every day of your life. Not not all those places have casinos. That's one little stereotype that people think, oh, mm-hmm. they're getting rich off casinos. No, that's not the case. So if we lose some, some good stories for making that happen, then that's what we get. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have been through unthinkable things and there's still such a marginalized population and it doesn't seem like people are actively trying, at least that you hear about, like trying to do something about it to make their circumstances better. And yeah, you're right. They don't have a lot of options or opportunities to change their situation, which is so sad. Um, But I feel like if anyone's going to survive in a post-apocalyptic world, it's going to be 
the people who have had to survive off of the earth and nothing for so long. Yeah. In, uh, in undergrad, I went to the University of Illinois after they got rid of the chief mascot. We were required to take a non-Western or U.S. minority focused class. So I took American Indian Studies. And the first thing that our teacher had us write, he was uh, a Native American. He had us write a paper about what, why, why do we take this class? What were we interested in? What turned us on to it? And almost every single person wrote a paper about Pocahontas, the movie, like the Disney oh, movie. No. Really? Yeah. And I wrote about going to powwows as a kid at Colorado State University because I grew up in Fort Collins and they would have an annual powwow and I'd go to the powwow and their regalia is beautiful and the music is wonderful. It's super fun. If there's a public powwow, I highly recommend. And so the teacher brought that up. He was like, so everyone said Pocahontas (laughs) except for Kate. Good for you. And I was like, maybe, (laughs) maybe I should have also said Pocahontas. It's a pretty good movie, (laughs) except for the song Savages. Not so great. But yeah, we, we learned about like the, not just Trail of Tears, genocide, smallpox blankets, but like in the 1800s, they would steal Native American children and send them to these terrible institutions and like torture them into Christianity and teach them to not know their language and they almost wiped out native languages and like just like shamed them about their culture and it's a a miracle that we have any of their culture remaining now I mean it's just terrible there's voter suppression out the wazoo so that's why a lot of stuff isn't getting done because they for there's something about P.O. boxes like on reservations you can't have a regular street address that the U.S. will recognize you have to have a P.O. box you can't vote. If you have a P.O. box, you have to have a street address. Ha ha ha. So they can't register to vote. So they can't vote for changes. And it's just this terrible cycle. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. They just want to be human like the rest of us. And it's just very frustrating. I'm mad about it. That class was very good. I highly recommend if you go to the <laughs> University of Illinois, you should take that class. Also understand why they would want to keep their stories and their culture private because it has been exploited and because so much has been taken away from them. And they have been for generations tried to take away their culture and incorporate them into the the majority culture. And, and yeah, I would understand why they want to protect whatever they have left. Well, I kind of got, have you ever seen Mad Max Fury Road? No, but I've seen like stills and trailers, the aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people kind of compare the feel of that to this and this post-apocalyptic and and there's a drought going on and stuff. So I kind of get that feel, but then I also kind of got like the walking dead kind of feel Mm. not with like the, the zombies, but there were monsters, but just kind of that slow build. Like the walking dead was kind of the same way where like you kind of built the world throughout the first few episodes you weren't like you weren't just thrown into it but you also weren't just like bombarded with world building at the beginning mm-hmm. it was kind of a nice mix and and i got that from from this book too yeah i i think the mad max vibes really come into play when they went to the shalimar and she's wearing like the crazy get up with all the guns and like it's supposed to look as badass as possible and like kai was doing whatever with his hair with the gel and I was still mad at him at that point so <laughs> you just did not like him okay well I thought he was lying the whole time the whole time I didn't think anything he did was genuine because he was the silver-tongued guy and he also just I don't know ah, just didn't get the right vibes from it I didn't like any of the men in this book <laughs> except oh. for grandpa Ta <laughs> I like Ty because he he showed that he genuinely cared for Maggie and that's that's kind of his, this, you know, they were meant to be together. You know, Grandpa Tyler explained it to us from the get go. Oh, y'all be a good match. And I said, here we go. This story is going to, part of this story is going to be about them getting together, getting feelings for each other and taking care of each other, mm-hmm. having them each deal with the other's issues, which is all what happened in there. So my like for for Kai played into that part of the story, you know, that he was becoming a companion for Maggie. Now, some of the shady things he did and all that stuff. Okay, yeah, I he was sometimes he was too slick for school. <laughs> he sometimes, <laughs> you know, he he was able to do things that you know you only get to do these things or get practice doing them when you're doing shady stuff. I you know I get that part of it, but I, I couldn't help but like him though because he was basically. Maggie's salvation as far as being able to interact with another being that actually cares about her, not some mentor that's going to stick a knife in you and 
you know, take your bloody body and plant a kiss on you in the rain. And like leave a jagged scar. Leave like, a jagged scar. <laughs> this is my mark on you. Really? Your brand cattle. Yeah, like I'll be able to find you. you like, you've established so. that you are the wrong person mm. when you brand your woman. Oh, guys don't do that no property those property of tattoos <laughs> it stuns me that people actually do that stuns me a lot of people <laughs> i know it, it's, it's it's one of those man i'm ready to check out almost any time <laughs> people are doing stuff like that i always said and i have a lot of tattoos so nothing against tattoos in general but i always joke that Couples that tattoo together stay together. Unless you tattoo each other's names on you, then you're destined to break up like two weeks later. Yeah, it's like a curse. <laughs> yeah. Later. Yeah. It doesn't work out. And you just cross off each name as you put the next one. Like, anyway, what I liked is that along the lines of world building is that we got introduced to a lot of Navajo words, but not so many where it was distracting from the story and we couldn't understand what was happening. And I think that's what, when I was talking about some of the diverse books that I've read recently, like Katowicz, that was one of those stories where there were so many terms and like words that weren't explained and you're like trying to piece together like what's happening like I can appreciate that the author was trying to like integrate us into the culture but it also made it really hard to understand what everything was and what was happening so I felt like this book was a good mix where you know even if we can't pronounce the words and we don't want to to butcher them on our podcast by saying them incorrectly, but we could still get enough for like, oh, okay, I, I've seen this word a couple times now. I can kind of get the gist of what it is and it hasn't been distracting. Yeah, like there was a word for the kind of immortal God creature people. There was a word for the ghosts. There were nicknames for like grandmother and grandpa and we had enough context that it worked. And I think we've we've all read works in progress in our writing group or outside of our writing group where you have no idea what's happening. And then you have to tell the writer like, so you got to lose like half of these made up words. <laughs> and so here they're not made up and they work. Right. I think that's the, the trap that a lot of writers fall into is that they're like, well, I'm building this world. So I have to have like creature names and I have to have like the name of the places and everything's all made up and they have to sound really cool. But if you have too much of that, then you just, you've lost your readers. Mm -hmm. we, we don't care anymore because we're like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and with this book having a real language in it, we'd either get distracted trying to Google it, which wouldn't work out. Tried that before this podcast started. Couldn't, couldn't get a couple names and, or then we feel stupid for not knowing it. And so we'd put down the book and be like, I think this isn't for me. Right. I agree. Do you think that Maggie would be classified then as a strong leading woman main character, despite whatever shortcomings she might have? Yes. So She's physically strong, which is not what we mean by strong female character, but she's physically strong. She has an arc. She makes her own choices. She has agency. She is multidimensional. She's not just like, I'm here to kill monsters. That's it. She's like, I'm here to kill monsters. I'm also here for my dogs. I'm also here for Grandma Ta, you know, and I'm also here like mourning the loss of my mentor, crush, boyfriend, lust object. So she had, she had more than one thing going on and she navigated things and she handled it. And so... Yes, I think. Because she was not a flat character, she was as strong. Right, and I think it's important to distinguish that you can be a victim of abuse mm -hmm. and still be a strong female. Yes. Despite, you know, having someone have control over you for mm -hmm. a point in time. Most definitely. You know, she is a strong character because of some of the hangups that she had to deal with in the in the way she dealt with them. And I think what really made her, in my mind, and, you know, I always gravitate to whatever little love stories in there. She knew that it was going to take a work and a change of herself or whatever to have any kind of relationship with Kai. Mm -hmm. So she was bold and went for it as far as desiring to, you know, build that connection with him. Yeah. So I kind of, I applaud her for that and see her as a, a strong character for that reason, among many others. Just surviving that whole thing with her grandma initially or whatever, mm -hmm. just getting through that because it's just gruesome. The thought of somebody that is raising you, you just love them and everything. Then you see them strung up like a side of beef getting cut up by these cannibal guys. That's gruesome stuff. That's PTSD mm -hmm. all day. 
So, and she's still dealing with that. Yeah. But I think that is also a reflection of what the Native American culture has gone through too. You talked about some of the horrible things they've been through. And I think maybe that was kind of a nod to real things that have happened and they've had to witness, not necessarily this generation, but they've heard stories. Yeah. About their the term generational trauma. Yeah. I did not think of that until you just said it, but oh yes, this yeah. that there's a close parallel. That was deep. Yeah, that was very deep. Hey. And there's a lot of PTSD in that culture because of that and what they continue to go through. As far as I know, they're not continuing to go through trauma like that, but hopefully. but we don't know what all is going on. But there's still the voter suppression, still happening. Yeah. And as James said, po- extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that pipeline that everyone was protesting about, and they're like, what if we won't spell on your land, it'll be fine. It's spelled. So. Of course it did. Of course it did. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I thought was interesting, too, is that so you had the, the police figures. So they said that, that the government kind of disbanded after this this flood happened. But then they still kind of had some rules, but they weren't really enforced. But then you have these people who seem to have kind of taken the law into their own hands and then still continue to, for seemingly no reason, go after certain people and targeting. And so I was reading about the parallels with like the police brutality and stuff that are going on now versus like how she portrayed it in this post-apocalyptic world. So it is interesting kind of how she she included a lot of these big issues in kind of a way that, you know, fit the story. Yeah, actually, the, the very beginning, the little girl who goes missing, there's actually a lot of Native American women that go missing and it doesn't get a lot of news coverage. And so that was kind of similar to, to that situation. They were reaching out to other people before they got to Maggie to try to get help. And they had to resort to this woman they clearly didn't want to do business with uh, to get any sort of help. And it still didn't work out. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how um, when you talk about the law enforcement, that it seemed to develop the way the Wild West kind of developed in areas where you have a group of people that is in something somewhat of a city or a town. Things are a little bit more official. These guys actually have badges and uniforms. You know, they, they may have their own interpretation on who they should harass and who they kick out of town and who gets to stay in town, that sort of thing. Things are kind of loose there and shouldn't be. They don't exactly follow the rules, but it's a little bit more governed. But out in the rural area, like when they ran into the, basically kind of like a, that game leader guy, well, they were the law. They're the law of that area. And, and homegirl with her spread with her kids running things way back in the West. If you had property out there, that's what your kids did besides work it. They were the, the law and enforcement out there on your little kingdom. I completely forgot about that lady and her kids. It was very... The kids were interesting because they show up and they've got like, what, basically machine guns and they're protecting the property. But then the one guy's like, oh, we're going to a club. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get all dressed up. And so it was, it was kind of cool to see the different layers of that, too, instead of just like, oh, yeah, she's got the tough kids that have to stand out here with the with the guns. You see the, the softer side of him, too. I, I really love the fact that they did that because... And I'm sure some people that read this book are going to think that this like is a new recent thing. But um, the thought that a homosexual can't be into like guns or physical sports, like you know how many football players out there that are homosexual in in the early years, they couldn't say anything about it. Now they can say stuff about it. So I'm glad that that somebody put the finger on that Mm -hmm. and not just pigeonhole and stereotype and say, oh, I got to get a... Got to get a gay person in my book, but they're going to be the stereotype. So they'll know that they're gay. Yeah, right. see? And I thought Kai initially was that stereotyped gay guy because of go. his terrible, crazy outfit. You you fell for the I, head fake. Yeah, I fell for, <laughs> I got faked out. That was an interesting subplot. The, the whole underground club was really kind of strange to me because I'm like, how are there that many people because it seemed like we hadn't really met many characters and there hadn't been like too many people around. And then all of a sudden, like in the middle of the town that I think it was the same town that we had already been in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's this club that's packed and there's like a fight club down there. And well, and Clive showed up like 20 minutes after they got there when they had lightning traveled and he had to like drive a really far way to get there. So everyone's a God. (laughs) 
When you don't have a lot of people on the road, you can probably go pretty fast. Yeah, but still. <laughs> There's no traffic lights. <laughs> the cops aren't out. No turning lanes. Post-apocalyptic Audubon. That's what <laughs> <laughs> I was a little confused about her just throwing whiskey in her gas tank. Like, I don't know if that'll work, but I don't know anything about cars. We wow. should get your husband here yeah, as a guest. I know. We need we need a, a guest commentary from him because he would probably know. But that didn't seem right to me because I could see maybe if there was no gas in the tank and you put it in there and you get it to run for a little bit. But I feel like that would only be like a temporary thing. And then you destroyed literally everything else. Because otherwise people would be using that as fuel source. Well, well isn't there sugar in it? Isn't sugar, sugar kills your thing? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That would be the roughest running engine on earth if it runs on straight whiskey. And it would be tough enough just if it was just pure, you know, ethyl alcohol. Because I've seen somebody run their car on Everclear. Those of you who don't know what Everclear is, you don't want to find out until college. If you're ethyl, you do know what it is. <laughs> exactly. It's one of the 17 alcohols and jumps. <laughs> you might have to put it in a syringe and put it in an orange. But anyway, that you can you can run a car on that. But not long and far. So, and your car is not going to be in good shape after that. After ever again. that, you 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 you're messing up your car. So the fact that whiskey in there, which is going to be at most what eighty proof, forty percent alcohol, and the rest of it is complicated, you know, sugar molecules. You know, I don't I don't see you having a long term relationship with that kind of fuel. I was about ready for her to start throwing her coffee beans in there. <laughs> it's like it's a biofuel. Gonna, anything that'll burn, just put it in. And, uh, about that part but the rest of it it's pretty cool but yeah the but the underground fight club was shalimar yeah it was just kind of shocking to me that i'm like oh then it was like run by a cat lady also a god everyone's a god God. (laughs) well you know maybe that's what comes out is that all the humans died in the flood just maggie and and it's just gods left and these monsters that the gods created and people don't know yet oh i don't know i mean the crowd that was gathered when Grandpa Todd's place was burning down. I I can't see every single one of those people and Longarm being a god and his deputies being gods. I mean, you got to have some rabble in there. But but one thing I did like about the club scene, which I kind of had a little bit of a problem with because it was two stereotypical casino type situation. They go in there and they're all dressed up to the nines. But I do like the fact that they, that uh, Maggie was given that magical power to see people as they are, mm. which was like a parallel of something that she really needed in the rest of her whole story to be able to see people as they are. But, but was that what that really was? Or was it so that she couldn't see him? Kai. But she could see that something was different about him. Yeah. She could see his eyes were like all silver and he was much hotter. Than and that was her one of her one of the many one of the clues that she got but one of the many clues that was thrown at her as far as the fact that he had some kind of power yeah but yeah, she saw that before, the, the silver eyes. Yeah. Yeah, but at the club, it was like, not just like a flash or like a, a hint, but it was like, hello. Yeah, and exactly. then he And he was like, oh, no, you told it was the same. But like, I doubt that. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder what she actually looks like. She should have gone to the bathroom like every other girl who goes to a club and checked herself out. But if she knew that she was able to do that, she... She wouldn't have done that at that stage because she was so scared of seeing a monster and looking back at her in the mirror. That's a good point. But that's one way that she would know for sure. She doesn't want to know for sure. I would want to know for sure. That's you. (laughs) (laughs) You are not Maggie. You are not Maggie? (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. It was written in first person. What do you want from (laughs) me? You're, you're you a bold, interesting person, but you you would be boring in the book. You would want to know things. You would, you would want the truth. I'm like, what's the truth? I'd be great in a rom-com. Thank you very much. <laughs> you got me there. You would be great in a rom-com. In a book about eyeballs. Oh, yes, it's true. Like a, not a horror novel. I'm, I'm a chicken. I'd be the worst person because I would not go in the basement. I'd be like, I'm calling the police. <laughs> Thanks. Have a nice day, monster. <laughs> See, no one in books ever does that. Yeah, but like a rom-com, I would totally, you know, go romming and comedy. <laughs> <laughs>
I enjoyed reading the book and the character that was borderline superhero, but not really superhero. She kind of saw her powers as a curse, thinking it led her into a, a monstrous way, tortured soul type deal. And it was it was a pretty good read. I really liked Maggie. And by the end, I was a little worried about Kai. Like I knew he'd be okay. Everything's fine. But I, I wanted assurances and therefore Googled it. Um, so <laughs> Cheater. <laughs> I just looked up the summary of the sequel. That's it. Um, you so- ruined the whole sequel. <laughs> I read the first like couple sentences and then I was like, okay, he's fine. Um, but so even though I didn't like Kai at the beginning or the middle <laughs> or close to the end, by the end, I was like, okay, he can live. She shouldn't date him, but he can live. Wow. You know, I think that in this podcast, this is me making a suggestion that in addition to, is this a strong female character award that we hand out or not? We should have, is there a decent male character in this book award? Mm-hmm. I liked Kai. (laughs) 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 He tried to tell her. He didn't try hard enough. I know he said, but he admitted that he was trying to mislead her at first. (laughs) I know, but whatever. I want to see him in the R-rated version of this movie. Oh. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They did have that healing cuddle session, if you know what I mean. Wow. Yeah, I'm waiting for the book. The book too. Okay, come on, Rebecca. We need to. The book's not out yet. No, the second book's out. No, I know, oh. but I'm waiting for our scene with Kai. Oh yeah, back to the But also the movie. Can't that <laughs> yeah, the movie. We want the movie. <laughs> or I would sell for like mini series HBO. Yeah, but you know who's going to be in this movie? Taylor Lautner. No, he's Native American and he's hot. There's more than one. I challenge you today. <laughs> <laughs> Boo Boo Stewart, perhaps. <laughs> This is the part of the podcast where James leaves. (laughs) Taylor, I'll settle. He doesn't have to play Kai. He would just be in the movie somewhere. (laughs) He just carries towels around. (laughs) Would you like like a hot towel? He would probably be the monster slayer. Oh, yeah, probably. Because this will probably be like 10 years from now. Mm. Oh, no. Get Luke Diamond Fairless as Grandpa (laughs) Tom. He's looking kind of scraggly. Have you seen him, seen him in the movie? He's got the, the gray beard and everything. Anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I I enjoyed this book more than I thought I would, um, especially with the genre and my feelings about series. Because of the whole kind of muddled ending and unclearness of some of those parts, I would rate this a four out of five. It's pretty good. But I still feel like I need to read the sequel to get my full juice out of it. Uh, I would probably give it a 4.5 out of 5. Because that middle beginning, like after the first 10 pages, was too slow for me. And I kept putting down the book. I mean, it took me like a week just to get through 50 pages. Um, So that's where it lost a half star for me. But I really love Maggie. She's... Like the little grumpy person that I just want to hug. And <laughs> I loved that she was an unreliable narrator in that for the longest time we were like, yeah, Monster Slayer is a badass, awesome person. And then he shows up and you're like, oh no, <laughs> this was all a lie that she told herself. Oh no. And so I really loved that reveal. Uh, I loved to hate the Monster Slayer at the end. And I, I loved that Maggie figured out a way to basically kill everyone. <laughs> But there wasn't enough death for James. There wasn't enough death for James, but she killed everyone, <laughs> and everyone's a god, and I'm looking forward to the sequel. <laughs> Would you recommend it? Oh, yes. I recommend it to fan, uh, like grown-up fans of Percy Jackson. If you read the first uh, books of that when you were a kid, you'll love this. Uh, fantasy novel people, if you're interested in Native American stories, this is a fun twist. And uh, if you love badass ladies. Well, my overall impression, I mean, I've said before, I enjoy reading the book. Although there's three areas from where I take off a half a star each. Okay. Taking the rating down to three and a half stars. Three and a half stars is not bad. But number one, that, that first, I don't, and I don't know how you dodge this. I'm not trying to fix the book. But the, the first like 15 pages when the character to me is not being presented in a good light, except that she gave up an expensive blanket. That was the one redeeming thing she did <laughs> right up front. But everything else cutting the girl's head off and everything. I'm like, I'm sour on this woman. But she won me back later. Number two, and something that we didn't 
didn't really cover is that there were some points in the book where I was taken into a flashback scene without warning. You know, all of a sudden I was back in one of her memories. So I said, is this really happening now? What's, where do these people come from? And there was no real warning on that. And that might have been just me, but I mean, that was my experience. Just staring out the window, drinking coffee or making coffee or whatever. Yes, yeah. I was, I was thrown. I was like, what the hell is happening? I thought it was supposed to throw us. Like, she's also thrown that it's a PTSD moment of like, suddenly you're there and then oh, you're well, suddenly back and you're like, oh no, the coffee. And then she's like choking him or whatever she was doing. Yeah. Well, I am taking off a half a star because that worked. And the the third half a star is taken off because of the slightly confusing ending, the, the confusing handling of who's the antagonist in that final big scene and what happened to the coyote and all that stuff. It's it kind of, it was a little bit of a mess. It's still cleaned up good. It still is a finished arc. But like I said, it was kind of like a jagged edge at the end. So we still end up with three and a half stars. I would recommend this book, especially for someone who is looking for a book that deals with Native American culture. It's, I, I can't find this anyplace else and teaches you a little bit about it, even though it's a fantastic book dealing with gods and monsters. And that sort of thing, you learn something from it. And there's not a lot of that out there. Yeah, I agree. I think it is another book just like on the come up where it sparked a lot of great discussion about larger scale issues in society. And I think even though I don't think this was technically YA, um, because she's older, mm-hmm. I think that this could be a good discussion book for teens as well. Uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it to anyone. Like I said, I'm not really a fantasy reader normally, and I enjoyed it. So even people who may not normally be into this genre might might enjoy it. So next month, we are going to be talking about the book Things You Save in a Fire by Catherine Center. So make sure you read that before our next podcast so you can listen to our spoiler-filled discussion and be a part of that with us. So thank you all for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book with a strong female main character. The chat doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area or connect with us on social media. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a review, like, follow, and a share with your friends. Find more reviews, discussions, and articles related to publishing, writing, and editing on judgingmorethanjustthecover.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace out. Oh, 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 oh,